All right, he's back for another Friday. You know him, you love him, but you want to be like him, but you can't. Dennis Stewart, good afternoon, Si. How are you? They wouldn't want to be like me, Mark. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, no, it's good Good to be back with you and good to be able to talk to my listeners again today on some very interesting follow-on from what we've been discussing up to this point. Yeah, well, you've been talking about recently some of those uh, medicinal herbs, uh, those European mm-hmm. uh, herbs, lemon balm, you gave that a bit of a mention, chamomile as well. Today, uh, peppermint and yeah, quite possibly yeah. um, some of its properties in the anti-nauseating. Yeah. yeah, look, we're going to take up this because uh, people talk about having herbal teas, chamomile tea and peppermint tea, but I think very few people would appreciate that a a pleasant herbal tea based on those herbs can uh, represent um, herbs that have a much stronger effect than just being a pleasant herbal tea. And I want to talk about today uh, peppermint, following on from last week's discussion on the other two herbs, to talk about its remarkable but well-defined medicinal properties. Here is a herb like the other two we've mentioned up to this point, which can be used as a pleasant, a pleasant alternative to ordinary tea, so to speak, but yet has powerful, harnessed and effective medicinal properties. Interesting topic. All right, we look forward to that. A tasty Mm. one as well with (laughs) with Dennis Stewart. Good afternoon, Chad at Charlestown. You have a cold and flu question for Dennis today, Chad. Yeah, g'day, guys. Um, I was just wondering what your opinion was, Dennis, with this season of colds and flus and coughs that doesn't seem to be ending, um, is it better to just stick to your normal, reasonable, healthy diet of food or is it better to fast and, and try and sort of keep the fluids up, obviously? But, okay. Um, yeah. uh, that's a good question. Um, in the profession or the um, doctrines or the ideologies, the ideas of naturopathic medicine... Fasting is seen as as a useful device, uh, particularly to use in what's called a a detoxification procedure. Um, Therefore, I myself uh, have done a lot of fasting, particularly in my earlier days, and uh, I would claim that uh, fasting in my earlier days, and that was a long time ago, had a significant impact in my breaking a long, long history of recurrent eczema. Uh, But with fasting, you have to be cautious, Fasting is not for everyone. For a healthy person, however, that gets a cold or a flu, um, my advice is that if you're going to harness uh, fasting, it'd be a short fast. That is, a, a day or two on, on broths, uh, the so-called potassium broth, which is a vegetable broth, um, which is the, the old-fashioned basis, in fact, of naturopathic detoxification procedures, uh, a couple of days, on, on soups and broths, plenty of juices and fluids. But my idea, um, in when, when you're struggling with a bad cold or, or a flu even, is to don't overload yourself with a lot of carbohydrates or even a lot of protein. In other words, don't stuff yourself in inverted commas. Give your body a chance to harness all of its uh, immune-enhancing potential, uh, a short fast, uh, uh, supported by um, a liquid diet with plenty of uh, vegetable soups, uh, plenty of juices, particularly vegetable juices, plenty of fluids. Uh, that's my approach uh, in addressing uh, cold and flus. A, a healthy, soft diet, uh, liquid-based, 
not with too much heavy food that, in my opinion, overloads the system. And of course, making sure that if you're working through a cold or a flu, you're using supportive herbs and particularly the herb echinacea, which is famous for addressing just this situation, a cold or a bout of the flu, that's where it shines as a herb to help uh, resolve the condition a little bit faster and perhaps guard against the, the cold or the flu developing into something more serious. Right. Okay, then. No worries. Well, you've sorted that out for me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chad. All right, Chad. Best of luck with, with all of that there. G'day, Debbie at Rutherford. Your question for Dennis today, Debbie. Hi, I'm busily doing something and I forgot I was actually on hold. <laughs> oh, not any longer, Debbie. Yeah, Dennis is right here with you. Uh, he, he'll even come around and help you with the ironing a bit later. <laughs> I'm pretty good at that, Deb. I'm right Are up you? there with ironing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> my wife is in the background there laughing her head off. I don't think I've ever ironed in my life. Oh, there you go. Old, old school. <laughs> Absolutely. Very much an old school. Very, very much an old school. And proud to be a member of the old school, Deb. Yeah, well, me too. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm just asking for my daughter. She's had a terrible bad case of rosacea, and oh, it's dear, mainly dear. on her nose and just yeah. side, each side. She's tried everything, okay. and she's been to skin specialist, and yes. nothing at all seems to yes. help. Nothing's doing it. She's probably no. she's probably used Rosex along the way, has she, from the I, pharmacy? I don't know. Okay. Let me uh, let me ask you a couple of questions, Deborah. Well, first of all, to explain to the listeners, rosacea is a skin condition that occurs normally on the, on the face, on the nose, on the cheeks. It is characterised by redness, indicating inflammatory activity, and also some pustular developments can take place. It can be a very very nasty, chronic and embarrassing condition and I've seen some very, very nasty cases of it. Um, yes. Look, um, my approach has always been to address it with a herbal medicine approach initially and yep. the uh, my approach is to use herbs that, um, if, you, if you like, address both the inflammation yep. and any infection that's active. So uh, with, without simplifying it too much, the herbs that I fall back on as oral medication are essentially yeah. um, echinacea um, and also golden seal uh, and calendula. Those three herbs, calendula, golden seal and echinacea, uh, any herbalist that's been trained in the Western tradition would know what I'm talking about here when we say that they have multiple benefits, particularly on the skin, and are used mm -hmm. for conditions like uh, eczema, uh, dermatitis, uh, seborrheic dermatitis, and on the face as an oral medication in the correct dosage, and this is where your daughter would be wise to consult a medical herbalist that has a dispensary that could put yes. those herbs together in, in, in a preparation and oh, prescribe. Yes, not a separate herbs, all of right. them in, uh, in the correct proportions as defined yes. in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia and, and stipulated in the right dosage. Also, and most, most importantly, most importantly, because frequently on its own, uh, a cream known as the GA cream has been remarkably successful in helping reduce the condition, uh, lessen, yeah. lessen the inflammation particularly, and promote a bit of skin repair. Now, the GA cream uh, is, in fact, a cream based on an extract of licorice. Even though it is oh, white, okay. 
It's white and it, it, it yep. comes in a in a zinc base. I had a lot to do in developing it. It was very popular um, in in dermatology many years ago, and I uh, reintroduced it in, into Australia probably thirty years ago for my own prescribing. Now that cream has helped many people. Uh, my receptionist that worked with me at Barunga in in the in the in the 80s, the early 80s, she had a very very bad case of rosacea. And she managed it interestingly, just with the GA cream, just with the oh, GA cream, okay. and and yep. used it um, ongoingly once the once the condition had subsided, and yep. the the redness or the inflammation had retreated. She continued using it. Uh, such was her confidence in it. However, where there is a lot of pustular development, that is where I always fall back on those herbs which have antimicrobial characteristics, echinacea. Uh, a golden yep. seal and calendula. Okay, now if she can't get to somebody down there, can I actually am I able to obtain that from your? Yes. Um, yes. Yes. If okay. you can't get them, yes. All right, Debbie. Best of luck there, and good afternoon, Peter at Mayfield. Peter, uh, the a rash is your question today for for Dennis. Yes, that's right. Hello, Peter. Uh, I've had this rash for a couple of months now. Yes. Um, I finally got to the bottom of it. Yes. Um, I thought the doctor thought it was like a ringworm tinea or psoriasis, yes. but it's not. Yes. It's a skin inflammation called, I don't know if you've heard of it, lynchinoid. Oh, li- lichenoid, yes. Lichenoid, Lich- lichenoid. Yeah. okay. And has your doctor indicated to you the that it might be what's called a self-limiting condition? Uh, no, he's given me some new cream to okay. put on. It. It's okay. called methylprednisolone. Okay, methylprednisolone uh, is yeah. a, a steroid-based uh, yeah. cream. And yeah, have it's you, not sore, it's not itchy. No. I've got it got on, on both sides of my hip, under my armpits. Yeah. I've got a big one just below the uh, tip of the spine there now, and a few on my legs. Okay. You've, have you seen a dermatologist at all? No, um, I'm not, because I don't have health care. Oh, I, I understand. waiting yeah. in the public uh, yeah. system. Um, the only reason I'm asking that is that the location of those lesions uh, yeah. is, is typical locations of where you see a lot of fungonoid conditions, yeah. fungal-type conditions. Yeah, well, um, he said it's not fungus. Okay, fungal. all right, that's, that's surprising. Look... All that I can, with what you're using, is that resolving it or is it still asserting I've itself? Just, I've only just started it yesterday. Okay. Look, um, what I'd suggest, obviously, is you go by what your doctor tells you. Yeah. Um, you'll never hear me um, openly contradict any of our medical professionals. They're professionals. Anything I present is uh, presented as a, as a, com- a complimentary uh, support for the treatment. What? Yes, he's a, he's, a, he's a really good skin doctor. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, you've been blessed. What yes, I, what I, just I, would hope, s- I just wanted to go away. Yeah, sure. Look, yes. from, a, from a herbal medicine or a naturopathic perspective, uh, I do a lot of things on the skin with what are called bioflavonoids. And there is a, there is a bioflavonoid called quercetin, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N, quercetin. Yeah. Now, in the literature, particularly... Uh, in literature coming from the U.S. by um, eminent naturopathic doctors in the U.S., Pizzorno and Murray, in their section dealing with um, skin conditions, constantly 
uh, quercetin is mentioned as a great complementary medicine to work with the treatment. So one of the things that I'd be doing is going on to that bioflavonoid, which is a, a perfectly safe and natural substance, which, however, must be appended with bromelain, which is an enzyme from uh, pineapple. Bromelain is an anti-inflammatory agent, but it is also uh, synergistic with quercetin, and you get a better result when they're combined together. So most skin conditions that I, I treat would incorporate uh, those two herbs in an encapsulated preparation. Also, what I suggest you do is uh, try a, a, a skin herbal combination, if you like, something that will support uh, your immune system yeah. uh, in rallying it so that it can address the condition perhaps a little bit more effectively. That would be our approach, controversial as it might be. Support the body's uh, resistance, support the body's fight against this, and the combination known as Astragalus 8 would be worthwhile um, getting hold of um, and taking it as an oral medication um, to support what your good doctor is doing and what I've suggested with quercetin and bromelain. Health Naturally here at 2NURFM 103.7 and Dennis Stewart is still here. We'll get to your peppermint soon, mate, I promise. Do you reckon? I oh, we will. I know if we not will. not this week, next week. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. In the meanwhile, uh, Monica from Shortland, you're looking for some herbal advice for the kids to focus their attention. Am I right there, Monica? Yep, that's exactly right. Yep. Hello, Monica. Look, how, are you, Dennis? how old are the children, Monica? Um, seven. Yes. Okay, well, look, um, controversial as it might sound, I do believe um, that herbs can play a role in promoting concentration and focus. And yep. you might say, how do you know? I know because I have demonstrated it and have, in fact, written a couple of papers based on my clinical experience and clinical successes in treating kids with this problem. And both those papers are available free of charge from my rooms in New Lambton for those sceptics out there. Yeah. I, I believe that there are two herbs, and if you've got a pencil and paper, you should note them. Uh, yep, yeah, I'm ready to go. Uh, Bacopa era, just call it Bacopa, B-A-C-O-P-A, and yep. the herb Gotchicola, G-O-T-U-K-O-L-A. Now, both those herbs... Uh, come under the banner of what are known as Brahmi, B-R-A-H-M-I, Brahmi remedies. Now, why do we call them that? Uh, those herbs have been famously used in South Asian tradition, going right back to the time of the Vedas, and that is a couple of, well, at least 2,000 years before Christ, there was a civilization um, that fostered or uh, was able to produce that sacred and ongoing uh, Indian literature known as the Vedas. And the Vedas were written by uh, a group of very wise uh, priestly men who believed that concentration and focus, important from the point of view of the practice of their meditation discipline, could be helped by the use of those two herbs. So those two herbs became known as the herbs of the gods or godly herbs, because of the way in which in that culture so many years ago they were used to promote for spiritual or religious purposes 
uh, greater ability to concentrate and focus. Now, we might think that's rather quaint. and uh, Well, I guess it is quaint, but never mind. Uh, in recent times, in recent times, uh, papers have been written, um, uh, pertain, uh, usually papers written by uh, Indian physicians and, and clinicians uh, who have regard for their couple of thousand years, more than that, uh, history of tradition. Indians are great people. They haven't lost a sense of their culture, their tradition, their spiritual values. We in the West, in the West unfortunately, have forgotten a lot uh, about our past, which is a, a great tragedy. India is remarkable for its regard, for its brilliant, wonderful um, culture, particularly pertaining to the use of medicinal herbs. I've lectured uh, for years uh, on the topic of Ayurvedic medicine. I conducted a postgraduate program in it for many years in Sydney and Melbourne and other places, so I know a lot about it. So these two herbs have flowed through from their background going back before the birth of Christ, from the experience of the culture of the people that lived in what was called the Indus Valley Civilization. Um, and has flowed right through to today where those two herbs have now developed a reputation which is now acknowledged in Western countries by the production of preparations containing these two herbs. And I had the, the um, how can I call it, the pleasure of doing some of the first prescribing of these two herbs, uh, going way, way back uh, to my rooms in Marunga uh, in, the, in the 80s. And as a result of, uh, not only there, but here also, and as a result of seeing some brilliant reversals, testimonials from teachers, etc., I am convinced that those two herbs, in the right preparation, in the right dosage, uh, for the right patients, not, not, not all kids are going to benefit, but if I was concerned, as you are as a mother, I would uh, just Google uh, Brahmi remedies, see the two of them, and y you can uh, procure them from good pharmacies and good health food stores. Dennis, before we move on to some more calls, they're banking up there. So the most popular bloke in all of the Hunter today is obviously Dennis. But um, you mentioned a couple of herbs for Helen a little while back in terms of kids and attention. Yes. Um, she was busy writing them down, didn't yes. quite get them. So those herbs again for okay. Helen. Bacopa, B-A-C-O-P-A, Bacopa moniera, M-O-N-I-E-R-A. And the other one is Gotchukola. G-O-T-U-K-O-L-A. They go under the bram under the banner of Brahmi remedies, B-R-A-H-M-I. They are usually combined together in a liquid preparation and prescribed in a correct dosage. If you're interested in the papers, contact my rooms. They can be provided to you free of charge with no obligation to give you an indication of how I've prescribed it in the past for the situation that you're talking about with your kids. Dennis, if I live to be 145 mm. and can't even remember my own name, I will never forget the na that name of one of those herbs, Gotcha Cola. Gotcha Cola. Gotcha. <laughs> also known as Hydrocotyl Asiatica. See, you have to ruin it for me, didn't you? <laughs> Good afternoon, Alana at Cessnock. Uh, chronic kidney stone issues, Alana. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, it's my daughter. Mm. She's 36 and for yes. about nearly 20 years now, she just keeps passing kidney stones and they're not the calcium ones that people normally get she tells me they're uric, uric acid, acid stones okay. and correct. she has very very um, she has no citrate her body doesn't produce any potassium citrate okay. 
Um, you know, I've been, she, she would love to come and see you. She's down in Sydney, but yes. I called her today. She would have called you herself yeah. and she's preparing for something big. But, you know, she's on lots of morphine for pain, oh, which dear. I think is oh, an, an, an injections as well. She's, she vomits. She has to catheterize herself because her bladder doesn't empty properly. Yeah. She's had several um, procedures in hospital where they've put yeah. stents in. Um, and I said to her, well, could I give you a kidney or something? She goes, it's not the kidney. It's something that's happening before the kidney, it's, but the kidney stone is probably damaging the kidney. Yeah. So she's probably passed over 100 stones. If she has um, uh, or producing uric acid stones, uh, her, her doctor would uh, have her on, on something um, like allopurinol, which is used to to treat gout, which is a condition of high uric acid. I'm, I'm not a doctor, but I would think that she might be on that, and I'm, I'm a bit surprised that she's still producing these things at the rate that she is. But who am right. I? She would be obviously under a, a kidney specialist. And, well, she's uh, been to several kidney yeah. clinics and what have you, okay. but one of the things she said is that whatever she's low in, if they give her a supplement, she said the doctor explained it to her like, you would need a whole truckload of this, you know, to to bring her levels up. It's just okay. for some reason her body's just not producing it. Okay. Look, for me to say anything comprehensive on this, Alana, would be absurd. All that I would say, all that I would say is that a herb that might be of use because it has been used for chronic kidney stone conditions is the herb known as Java kidney tea. Now, Java kidney tea, I've mentioned on the program fairly frequently. Right. It is the most popular uh, remedy used in Southeast Asia, particularly in countries like uh, Indonesia and Malaysia, where, uh -huh. it is, where it is known as Kumis Kuching. And it has a reputation for uh, improving the health of the kidney and also, also uh, participating in, in the in the passage of calculi. Um, right. But that is only one uh, thought that comes into my mind. Certainly, I, if I had the condition, knowing what I know about uh, Java kidney tea, um, I would be I would be using it. But there are other herbs also that might be useful in addressing her unique um, blood profile, if you like, her uric acid drama. But that would take a little while to explain. It mm -hmm. would it would be better if she were to contact me, and yes. I could I could be more comprehensive in the recommendations I might make. Now that might sound rather egotistical, and who is he sort of thing? He's not a kidney specialist. I'm not, but I've had a fair amount of experience over my 45 years in helping people with pretty dramatic uh, renal conditions, uh, and have a bit to contribute perhaps. Uh, to even helping in this case, you uh -huh. you're in Cessnock. Uh, you can yeah. see you can see me in my Cessnock room if you want, or she can ring me. But yeah, uh, okay. Java kidney um, tea um, would be a really, in my opinion, a useful starting base. If you were to use it, she must mention it to those that are managing her, managing her medically. Oh, okay. Because she did go to a Chinese herbalist, yes. and he gave her some sort of tea, but she not drink it. Yes, she no. said it was no, very well, hard. The, the Java kidney tea, in fact, is a pleasant tea. Okay. It is, it is uh, the leaf 
of, of a well-known herb that grows in Australia as well as Southeast Asia. In fact, interestingly, um, I brought the herb into Australia probably five years ago now after my own uh, research and study and finding the herb in, in Rudolf Weiss's book on herbal medicine. But interestingly, when I was preparing a, a series of lectures about two years ago on Australian indigenous herbs that I presented to, to graduate students, I found that the herb, in fact, was also indigenous to the tropical parts of Australia. So uh, it's, it's readily available, and um, I see it as one of my uh, late uh, great introductions to herbal medicine in Australia. All right, Alana, best uh, of luck for your family with all of that. Dennis, we, just so we don't run out of time because the clock's against us here, a uh, quick one from Barbara who rang from Warner Space. She's no longer on the line with us, but uh, treatments for thrush suffered by ladies. Anything yeah. quick we can throw Look, there for Barbara? Very quickly for the discomfort uh, associated with, I presume this is vaginal thrush, um, for the discomfort associated with that tea tree based preparations there is a cream called vaginol uh, which was developed by a pharmacy colleague of mine uh, which is a brilliant preparation to use episodically when the thrush is active and i've also recommended it over the years to be used ongoingly uh, prophylactically where the condition has been reasserting itself you're a compounding pharmacist may well be able to put together the cream um, with a 2% tea tree oil basis um, in something like a, a zinc cream basis or the vaginal cream as it's known um, is already made up ready for that. Uh, good afternoon, Sue, on the uh, Central Coast there. I've only got a couple of minutes for you, Sue, but uh, what's happening with the skin condition, Sue? Oh, thank you. Um, Dennis, it's just that uh, um, my dad um, used to have a huge warty mold, like as big as a, a 10-cent piece and everything, yes. all over his back and yes. and everywhere. And I have them as well, and yeah. my 40-year-old daughter has developed them. But it's to the point where I won't go swimming or anything where I've got to put on a, a bathing suit because they're, they're just so horrible and also in my hair. Okay. Um, so the first thing I would say is, Anything like this, of course, has to be medically defined, medically investigated, and if possible, uh, medically treated. Anything on the skin, and you would appreciate what I'm saying, yes, uh, yes. is potentially problematical. You, are you sure these are not just keratoses? No, I'm not sure. I'm not, I just know that my dad had them, and yeah. even he was embarrassed to take off his shirt, you know, yeah. and now Kerat I've got them. <laughs> keratoses uh, are very common benign skin conditions um look i haven't got any secret treatment for them okay. but i but um i would see your gp and just mention uh what i've said there are these keratoses yeah if they yeah. if they are keratoses there may well be a procedure that can at least uh, get rid of them for you all right, Sue, best of luck. We'll squeeze our last caller in today. Michael at Corlette. Uh, tonight, this is your question for Dennis today, Michael. Yeah, my my mum and my eldest brother suffer from it quite badly, and I'm just wondering if there's anything that um, might help them. Uh, Michael, I have to be very quick because time has gone. What I would say is that um, the, the herb called uh, ginkgo biloba, G-I-N-K-G-O, ginkgo biloba, B-I-L-O-B-A, has good literature supporting the long-term usage of it 
that means taking the preparation in the right dose over an extended period of time, sometimes brings about significant relief. And I've seen that in my rooms. It's not a condition that's easy to treat. That would be foolish to say that. But the literature does support a try over many months on the uh, preparation ginkgo biloba, which is available from a pharmacist. It must be prescribed in the correct dosage and the pharmacist would be able to tell you whether or not it clashed with any medication that your, that your mother was taking. That's important. Thank you so much, Michael. Dennis, literally 60 seconds here. I know we won't have time to do a lot on peppermint, mm-hmm. um, so we'll have to deal with this in a future episode, but Good. in 30 seconds, give us your best shot. Oh, look, peppermint is not just a pleasant herbal tea. It is that, but peppermint is remarkable for its ability to handle nausea and vomiting, underestimated. And this goes for ladies that are experiencing uh, some of the symptoms of pregnancy, if we use that term, symptom, they can get benefit from, from uh, using peppermint, but also more serious levels of nausea and vomiting in more in disease states can be helped by the herb. We want to look at that and see other herbs also that share what are called the anti-emetic or the anti-nauseant characteristics of peppermint, one of which is used dramatically in Western herbalism to cope to cope with the vicious nausea and vomiting that can characterise some pregnancy situations. All right. Well, we look forward to Mm. uh, the taste of peppermint in a future episode, Dennis. Okay.